Okay, welcome to Bantu Book Review. This week we have Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. So, what a ride. This is the story of a young girl. Excellent, excellent book. I loved this book. It was the best book I've read in a really long time. Um, and it's the story of a young girl. Her name's Zeli Adebola. Zell for short and long story longer. This book is quite literally about black girl magic and Zell's journey to reclaim the magic that has been stolen from her people as a result of subjugation. So Zell's people are called the Maji and there are 10 Maji clans, each that has the ability to wield a different power. So really quickly, I'm gonna go through those powers because they're really cool. Um, so the 10 Maji, first we have the Maji of life and death, the Maji of mind, spirit, and dreams, Maji of water, Maji of fire, Maji of air, Maji of iron and earth, Maji of darkness and light, Maji of health and disease, Maji of time, and Maji of animals. So Zell is a part of the Maji of darkness and light. She's a reaper, and her deity is Oya. So essentially with the deities, um, the deities have gifted each of these clans with a particular power. Um, so again, Zell's a reaper. Um, and the historical backdrop for each deity and corresponding power is really so beautiful. I'm not going to ruin it by trying to tell you. Um, definitely read the story to learn more. Uh, but what's important to know here is that the Maji are not allowed to realize their full divine potential and self-actualize in um, the land of Orisha, which is where Zell lives. And the reason being is because the powers that be are trying to keep a good person down trying to keep a good man down trying to keep all these people down um the others the powers that be um they're a larger majority group who are overcome with fear incompetence apathy ignorance hatred really of the maji and for no reason other than they're just being who they are um they've done nothing more than just be magical um be beautiful and that intimidates the powers that be sound familiar <laughs> Anyway, like I said, um, this story is awesome, and one of the reasons that it's so powerful is because it really parallels our lives as black people in terms of the richness of our historical and cultural triumphs, um, except with the Maji, um, these triumphs, their story, it manifests in the form of magic and sorcery. Um, but again, bringing it back to the parallels with Black America, it, it's also a story of repression um, and later salvation. And so the beginning is the end is the beginning. Um, it's one and the same. Um, and there are really no words for the breadth and depth of the themes that are explored in the story. But I'm going to focus um, right now on some of the interplay between the characters and their complicated relationships with one another. The protagonist, again, is Zell. Um, and reading the story, I... I felt really protective of her because she is such a fighter. Um, she has all the reason uh, to fight. Um, so many things going on, so many things to protest. This is a protest novel, literally. Um, and the fire and rage inside of Zell is very much justified. Um, her mother, along with every other Maji, was killed um, in the land of Orisha as a show of force by the monarchy. Um, so the remaining children who are the survivors um they're now living in a state of constant 
oppression and intimidation from the monarchy. Um, just like us, you know what I mean? They're in like red line communities essentially. Um, and it's just crazy, you know? Um, they're being taxed unfairly, having to take out payday loans just like us. They in the hood for real. Um, and all of these unfortunate situations are, are not happenstance or coincidental. These are the direct actions of the monarchy that are keeping these people down. Um, and so I identified with, with the Maji. Um, the Maji is me, the Maji is we, baby. I'm exaggerating, but really, the book does have a lot of parallels to American society and the treatment of anyone who is not regular and white in this country. Um, and so Zell is a person who pushes back. She gives these people hell every step of the way, and she should. Uh, but at the same time, of course, my heart can't take it because sometimes she's 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 doing a lot you know she's being real extra um and her bravery is necessary and her anger is justified like i said but at the, the very same time that all of these concerns that she has and all the protests that she's choosing to uh engage in you know it makes sense uh but at the very same time she's always risking her life for the sake of righteousness and it, it makes you think of the reality of our day-to-day -day where you're damned if you do damned if you don't but to make it really simple, um, in terms of the backstory, there are two sides again. The Magi and the Monarchy. The Magi are the, mon the magical people. The Monarchy is the king and all his men. And this includes the guards, which pretty much the guards are the pigs in American society, just like 5-0 in America, but we'll get there. Um, the Monarchy truly, truly believes that eliminating magic is really the only way to protect the kingdom of Orisha. And so the Monarchy feels like magic is really the root of Orisha's problems because it's a threat to Orishan safety. Um, but if we're being honest, really, the king is insecure. The monarchy is insecure um, because it's just, they're, they're ignorant. Um, they're afraid of the Maji. Um, a lot of what they have come to know and understand about the Maji, um, they've been basing it on a lot of fear um, their tactics and the propaganda is, is all predicated on fear and lies and ignorance. Um, according to the monarchy, um, the people need to be defenseless. All of Orisha really needs to be defenseless in order for the monarch monarchy to be able to assert its power without feeling threatened. Uh, but the insecurity of the throne can never be quelled because no matter how many people are slaughtered, in the massacres, they don't feel safe. Uh, they never will. Um, and so the only people who are allowed to have power in this authoritarian regime is the people in charge. And of course, there's the abuse of power and misuse of power constantly in, uh, in a place like that. And so here's a direct quote from the book, which is, really something that illustrates mentally where they are. This is the king, and he goes, for magic to disappear for good, every Maji had to die. As long as they tasted that power, they would never stop fighting to bring it back. And um, this is one of the ways, one of the many ways, one of the many arguments they use to kind of justify all the killings um, 
and all the ways that they've continued to repress the Maji. Um, and yeah, this is America. So, one of the major takeaways that I have um, from this book is just the fact that the Maji, you know, they have all these different powers. Um, they're all divided and they think of each other differently and they've been made to be separate and think of themselves in different ways. Uh, but the takeaway was really that the king and his men, they're not just coming for the old ones, right? They killed all the adults, right? But later throughout the story, um, it happens that some of the children start to develop their powers um, through a series of events. Um, and so then they come for the young people too. And really the message is that they're not just coming for the old ones or the ones from far away or, you know, insert unique identifier. Um, they're coming for all of us. We're one and the same. And so it was really a message of unity and community uh, because throughout the story, um, Zell is, is finding as many people as possible who are a part of the community and who participate in the community in different ways, whether they are Majis or allies, Maji adjacent because they've joined families with Maji. Uh, we all need each other to survive and it really is our duty to fight and to remember who we are. And so that brings us to our next segment, which is the word of the day. Livid is the word, livid, uh, which literally means furiously angry, furiously angry. Um, and several times throughout this book, I was furious. I was livid. Um, so here are some examples where I was at a heightened level of pissivity. Number one, there was a point in the book where I mentioned there was a Maji tax where the Maji were just having to pay extra fines for having the household of the Maji and you pay them more. This is just the poor people tax, you know, the the minority tax. Um, so it's really dramatic and I'm skipping a lot of things, but essentially Zell, after going through so much, is finally in a position where her family is set. She has secured the bag of a lifetime for her family. And she's in the market after trading when she comes across a young girl who needs her help. But in order to help this girl, Zell has to risk everything she just gained for her family as far as security for the foreseeable future. And Zell puts it on the line for a girl whose name she doesn't even know. Turns out this girl is the daughter of the king. And later they become allies. But she didn't know at the time. Should have moved on. So I was pissed. I was livid. Um, there were also moments throughout the book where Zell was livid. She's a firecracker, right? She's always angry. Um, and so eventually she decides to save this girl and risk everything. The girl's name is Amari, right? And Amari is like this little lamb. And she's just such the victim and like always on the verge of tears and... Amari is having a moment where she's being empathetic to Zell and Zell's pissed like how dare you have empathy and be sad and that was hilarious um, but another moment where I was literally pissed 
was when Zell decides to date the prince. Yes, the prince, the son of the king who has killed her mother, killed many of her neighbors, her friends, all these people, right? She's dating him. I could stop there, right? But no. She's dating him after this man has actually come for her head, right? The reason she even knows who he is is because he was trying to kill her. They get past it. How? Who knows? They get past it. She's in love with him. Um, so just in their interactions, there were so many moments where it's just like, oh, girl, why? There are just certain things, fundamentally, that would have this relationship just never be, right? Um, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm outraged because, okay, let's start from the beginning. He's the prince of the king, so it is his direct responsibility to carry out the word of the throne, which oftentimes translates to terrorizing communities like Zell's. Um, and so, yeah, there's just the ever-present and menacing fear and suspicion from both sides that never goes away, right? Because Inan, who was the prince, identifies with the abusers in this situation of power and authority and he identifies with those abusers and also as an abuser having directly had a hand in some of the terror that has been inflicted on Orisha right this puts him in Zell always in a position to be fighting and kind of at odds forever because Zell is trying to articulate where she's coming from, but Enon is always caping for the guards who are his friends and his comrades and his soldiers, right? Um, so there's always the issue of trust and, and which side are we on? Where, where are you coming from? Um, don't get me wrong. In the beginning, it, it, it could have been okay, except Enon never really trusted himself um, and never really fully got to a place of true empathy um I think he could have been an inside man but there was just too much going on internally as far as conflict um he couldn't be the inside man at any point um because he was never able to really identify with the other side right the inside man is important but as a tool or a pawn to infiltrate their ranks um but his ignorance, Inan's ignorance, would be the death of us um, because he, he wasn't able to quite literally see himself as one of the people that is a part of the group that needs saving, like the monarchy needed saving from itself. They were literally destroying the city under the guise of, of being saviors. And it's like, you're, you're manufacturing these issues to then go in and correct them. But if you would just stop, we would not have these problems. You know what I mean? Um, and so there was just, there was so much going on, but just the fact that Zell would even go there with Inan was crazy. Um, another livid moment 
this is the very beginning, before I loved Amari, who's the complicated. Omari is the daughter of the king. So this makes Inan, the son of the king, her brother. They're at odds, right? They're on different sides. In the beginning, when magic first came back, because at the beginning of the story, um, it is believed that magic has disappeared. It's gone for good because the king has killed all of the magi. In the beginning, um, Amari is inside the castle because she's still a good little princess, doing what she's told, and she has a friend. Um, to her, Benta is her friend. Uh, to the world, Benta is her servant. So there's a complicated relationship going on there. Uh, anyway, Benta's life is on the line because there's a relic, a magical relic, that has been recovered that, that essentially brings her magic back. Um, and so Benta's about to be killed by Amari's father. And Amari is literally witnessing Benta's life on the line. This is her best friend, her only confidant. She feels totally alone, and Benta's the only person in the entire castle who sees her and relates to her. And there's a question, of course, of whether this is out of duty or if this is a genuine like relationship that is not one-sided and, and mutually beneficial. But anyway, um, Amari is literally witnessing her life on the line. Benta's life is on the line. And her father is, again, the person who's about to take her life. Um, and Amari, I at least think that she had the ability in some sense to intervene or say something to potentially change the outcome for her friend or at least try to make a difference. Um, and so as the reader, you're hearing Amari rationalize all the ways why Amari needs to be comforted in this moment when Benta's about to lose her life. Amari's wishing that Benta would be there to comfort her. Let me repeat that, because I was confused too, right? Benta's about to die, and Omari needs to be comforted. Benta's about to be killed by Amari's daddy, and Omari is cowering in the corner, hiding and afraid and wanting Benta to comfort her, whose life is not on the line. Like girl can you be more selfish right and this is this is really the issue again um when it comes to both amari and inan her brother this this sense of like being privileged and entitled like but what about me what about the fact that i don't feel safe it's like your life is not on the line you're good you're good so why are you scared right and it, it makes me think about a conversation that i had um with my best friend in the whole wide world about pity versus compassion. Um, where it's like, man, you know, when it comes to addressing abuse, number one, like, let's first recognize who really is the victim in these situations. Okay, it's part of addressing the problem. Like, what is wrong? What is right here? Number one, let's be clear. And number two, like, when it comes to a remedy, um, and this has more to do with, with Inan than Amari, because Amari is, like, going to be the victim in this situation, right? But with Inan, uh, it's like the remedy is not to coddle the victim or to feel sorry for them or even to clean up the blood, right? Because that keeps the victim in a constant state of being inferior and continuously weak, you know? And this expectation of the victim as this defenseless person 
is is really problematic and further when it comes to the monarchy and Orisha it's more than an expectation of defenselessness it's like I'm going to ensure that this is your current state I am actively making you defenseless to serve me and to further kind of like accentuate my own power and that's a problem like it's not about pity like to remedy the issue it's about really supporting people give them the resources that they need and if you don't want to give them resources allow them the space to breathe without your foot on their neck so that they can secure those resources on their own without your intervention like get out of the way you don't have to help just don't hurt right and address the abuser worry about yourself worry about yourself and get out of the way so yeah um these these are livid moments these are living moments. Um, yeah, this issue of, of privilege and, and responsibility. And then, okay, we have these privileged people. They're ignorant about what's really going on in the world. They don't understand. Um, in trying to gain understanding, right? They're defending. You're not really listening because you feel defensive. Because you feel guilty. Which is not my problem, right? Deal with that. And then we can talk. But the, the issue also becomes, it's always Zell's responsibility or the responsibility of the Maji to educate those who are part of the privileged class, to educate them and kind of fill in the gaps. And it's annoying because it's like, man, you're inheriting an entire kingdom you have never truly seen. You've never had to understand the people or know them in a real way, in an intimate way, right? But it's their responsibility to help you learn. Teach yourself. So, all these living moments. Let's move on, right? Because there were so many things that made me mad. Um, but we're not going to harp on those things. Moving on to the so what. Why does this matter, right? I said it before. All these things are literally happening in our day-to-day -day life. Um, whether we're seeing it with police brutality and the conversations that we have about, you know, Black Lives Matter, no Blue Lives Matter. It's like, man, we don't have to fight each other to come to an understanding, right? If we would do more listening to people who have different experiences and truly trying to understand what they're saying as opposed to trying to convince them that they're wrong and that they should agree with whatever it is that you believe, we'd actually be listening and, and getting somewhere in terms of these conversations. Um, and there wouldn't be such a lack of empathy and care for our fellow people, you know? Um, and it's really sad sometimes that people kind of have to experience things to understand them. Like, that that's the whole problem. Like, there's no empathy. Like, why can't you hear what my experiences are? And it just be that, right? You're telling me where you're coming from is not an argument as to why I'm wrong about what my experiences are, right? Um, so, and we just, we, we gotta do a better job of, of empathy overall. And then therapy, that was something important throughout the book um, where you, you have to address the things that are going on within yourself and, and taking those moments of stillness to just kind of introspect and and see what, what you're feeling and what you're dealing with and 
kind of plot the way forward, but, but those moments of stillness and moments of self-care are so important. Um, Zell, after all the protesting and the fighting and the running and the crying, the witnessing of the people dying, all this, right? She needed friends. She needed her sister. She needed Amari eventually because they become good girlfriends and Amari truly is an ally that transcends beyond this victim mentality um, to be able to be somebody that can be supportive and can listen and can be a confidant and a shoulder for once um, and so yeah it's important to take care of yourself um, and to stay woke um, and then also more importantly making yourselves aware making ourselves aware right all of us of the people who are doing the work and get involved to make a change. When you find out who those people are and where those organizations are, um, Zelly made so many friends, right, by just getting in the community and talking to folks and making connections um, to see, like, hey, who's fighting? Who's doing what? Um, who can help me? They're, they're, you're not alone. We're not alone. There are more people out here. There's a community out here. Um, and so, yeah, so what? Why does this matter, right? I'm going to take a quick moment to read the author's note. Tomi Adayemi wrote a beautiful author's note. And so this is why it matters, right? This is why this book matters. This is why the work matters. Here we go. Author's note from Tomi Adayemi. I shed many tears before I wrote this book many tears as I revised it and even as it sits in your hands now I know that I will shed tears again although riding giant lioners and performing sacred rituals might be in the realm of fantasy all the pain fear sorrow and loss in this book is real children of blood and bone was written during a time where I kept turning on the news and seeing stories of unarmed black men women and children being shot by the police I felt afraid and angry and helpless but this book was the one thing that made me feel like I could do something about it. I told myself that if just one person could read it and have their hearts or minds changed, then I would have done something meaningful against a problem that often feels so much bigger than myself. Now this book exists and you are reading it. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. But if this story affected you in any way, all I ask is that you don't let it stop within the pages of this text. If you cry for Zuleika and Salim, cry for the innocent children like Jordan Edwards, Tamir Rice, Ayana Stanley Jones. They were 15, 12, and 7 when they were shot and killed by the police. If your heart broke for Zelie's grief over the death of her mother, then let it break for all the survivors of police brutality who've had to witness their loved ones taken firsthand. Survivors like Diamond Reynolds and her four-year-old daughter who were in the car when Philando Castile was pulled over, shot, and killed. Geronimo Yanez, the bitch-ass officer who killed him. She didn't say bitch-ass. I said it. Geronimo Yanez, the officer who killed him, was acquitted of all charges. These are just a few tragic names in a long list of black lives taken too soon. Mothers ripped from daughters, fathers ripped from sons, and parents who will live the rest of their lives with a grief no parent should have to know. 
This is just one of the many problems plaguing our world, and there are so many days when these problems still feel bigger than us. But let this book be proof to you that we can always do something to fight back. As Zeli says in the ritual, um, this is in a language that I will not mess up, uh, but she says something in the ritual which translates to, we are all children of blood and bone. And just like Zeli and Amari, we have the power to change the evils in the world. We've been knocked down for far too long. Now, let's rise. There it is. There it is. Um, again. Beautiful. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so we're going to end it with that. Um, and end it with some shout outs. Number one, shout out to Tomi Adeyemi. A queen. Okay. A warrior. Thank you for this protest novel, sister. Shout out to Mama Agua. Shout out to my favorite characters in the book. Shout out to John Bunn at A Voice for the Unheard. Um, this was a man who was wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't commit. He started a justice and equality initiative that promotes literacy. Um, so what you can do to help out is donate your books and donate your bills and coins. Um, he has a website where you can learn all the details of where you can send all that stuff. Um, and the website is avoiceforthunheard.org. A voice, the number four, theunheard.org. And you can also listen to his powerful t story and testimony. Um, he's featured on The Breakfast Club where he gave an interview. Um, and and he, he's everywhere. Um, you can learn about him. Um, Thanks for listening. You can tweet me at Bantu Book Review uh, to suggest our book for next week. Talk about children of the blood and bone. Children of blood and bone. Um, so thank you for listening. <laughs>